Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. With my partner, Miles Simmons, uh, we're going to discuss an awful lot of what happened and what lays ahead, lies ahead, lays ahead, uh, in week 12 in the National Football League. Miles was at the Chargers game at SoFi on Sunday night uh, against Kansas City. Uh, I had an interesting conversation after that game with uh, Travis Kelsey. So we're going to discuss that and the ramifications of that. We're going to be joined by uh, my guest this week, Jimmy Johnson, the Hall of Fame coach of the Dallas Cowboys, now the Fox analyst. He's got a very interesting uh, autobiography out now, uh, written with Dave Hyde, um, longtime uh, sports writer in South Florida called Swagger that I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed it not just because of the football stories, but of the human stories. So I'll get into that with Jimmy. Um, you know, I thought it would be a good way to do the pod this week if we could talk about, in the front half, we'll discuss how sort of the NFL axis uh, or the NFL world is back on a kind of a normal axis, um, you know, with Kansas City being dominant, with the Bills coming back and uh, overcoming a few odds and, and, and playing well, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles getting back on the winning track, the New England Patriots putting the New York Jets where they evidently are going to stay for the rest of civilization, you know, down and out. I don't know. But so we're going to discuss that. And then in the second half of the pod, we're going to discuss the four people in the National Football League who enter the home stretch of this season with a lot of pressure on them. And that is going to be led by young Zach Wilson. But we'll get into that in the second half. Miles, uh, good to be with you. You know, when we were talking before, uh, you know, we, we, we started the pod, you said something that I think of when I think of Kansas City and the Chargers playing all the time. And I want you to repeat it for our millions of uh, listeners worldwide. Well, now, now you're talking about, you know, people who have a lot of pressure on them. Now you just put it on me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, it's... It's funny because the Chargers and Chiefs, they play very competitive games, but they always seem to end exactly the same way. And I mean, you pointed it out in your column probably better than anyone that you run 
the exact same play basically that you use to beat the chargers last year at SoFi stadium last year, it's an overtime this year. It's at the end of regulation and it's the same outcome. Travis Kelsey running down the field, getting into the end zone and being very, very excited. It's, it's one of those things where for the chargers, it's just always something. And for the chiefs, you know, for all of the belly aching we did, in the off season over, man, the chiefs don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. Oh my gosh. Look at this arms race with the Broncos. They get Russell Wilson and then the Raiders are getting more guys. And then, oh man, the chargers loading up. Where are we? The, the AFC West is pretty much over by Thanksgiving. Same as it ever was. And I'll tell you the one thing about that game, miles and what really interests me is how no matter what you do to Kansas City, you cannot put a stake through their heart. You can't do it. And when I talked to Kelsey after the game, one of the things that really interested me, I said to him, hey, you know, with all these new receivers you have this year, you got five new guys, you know, in your offense that, you're trying to get up to speed. I said, what, in your opinion, first half of the season or so, what's been the key? And he goes, Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to let us fail. And I think once you get a guy like that on your team, in your organization, it seeps into everything. Mm-hmm. The Patrick Mahomes ethos. Hey, listen, we got all these new guys. Okay, I'm going to bring them to Texas for two weeks in the offseason, and we're going to do everything together, okay? We get to training camp. I am going to take them all under my wing. Every day, we're going to spend an hour longer than everybody else just studying, making sure we're on our P's and Q's, blah, 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 blah. And I find right now... You know, every year, Miles, isn't it the last two or three years, every year since Mahomes won that MVP three years ago, don't you think that every year we're saying, okay, you know, Mahomes is good, but hey, Josh Allen is is really good, and and wow, you know, Lamar Jackson, he's he's good, and all you know, all these guys. I don't know. I'm the more I watch football, the more I want a guy who doesn't subject himself to a lot of punishment, and he doesn't, is very mobile, which he is, is accurate, which he is, and just has that winner's ethos about him. The more I watch Patrick Mahomes, the more I say he's the best player in football. I'm not even sure it's that close. I look, I I agree with you, man. I I really do. And I, one of the things that just sticks with me from being in those press conferences last night is when Patrick Mahomes was asked, you know, what was the feeling going into the huddle? Because you know, this as a sports writer, right? We always like to capture that. Oh, Patrick Mahomes had the look in his eye or whatever it happens to be. Right. But, but for Mahomes, he said, there wasn't really any of that. It was just, okay, we got in the huddle and we're like, all right, let's go do it. We know how to do this. 
you know, we've been in these situations before. We've practiced these situations. We run through this kind of thing all the time in training camp during the practice week so that we know when we're down by four and we've got two minutes or less in the game, how do we do this? And so it doesn't matter yeah. if you've got young guys in there, inexperienced guys in there. You know, it doesn't, if as long as Travis Kelsey's in there and he's one on one, that's the guy that Patrick Mahomes is going to go to. And I love it because I also, I'm a kid from the suburbs of Cleveland. So anytime he does something good, I feel like it's doing something for me too. But it's just one of those things where you've got Kansas City in the way that they play. And I think you're right. Patrick Mahomes is very determined to be one of the best to ever play the game. And you can see that in the way that not just conducts himself during the season, but on the off season when he does bring all those guys to Texas and he says, let's do this together. I'm going to get you guys up. We're going to all be comfortable very – we're all going to be very comfortable together. Or even when Kadarius Tony comes in on the bye week and the first person that they put up a picture of with Kadarius Tony on the chief social media account is Patrick Mahomes because he's in that building greeting the new receiver. Those little things matter a lot, a lot. And it's part of why Mahomes and the Chiefs are so great. I'll say one other thing about Mahomes that I find so interesting right now. It's that, you know, when Kadarius Toney was a New York Giant, they had a winning record. I think he got traded and they were like five and two or something like that. They were whatever. They had a good record, four and two, maybe. I don't know. But he was unhappy. He was a malcontent. Uh, they didn't like him. He didn't like them. And But he goes to Kansas City and it's like, Oh, man, I get to play with Mahomes. I'm going to get in line. I'm going to do this. And that is a very, very big thing. If you walk into a place and there's Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, it's like walking into New England when they got Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady, you know, back in, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. One specific thing about that game that interested me is that Miles, didn't you think when it finally, when push came to shove, it came down to the stretch, came down to the, uh, you know, the late stretch of the game, that when Kansas City got the ball with whatever, 90 seconds left or whatever it was, I mean, I, it was almost like it wasn't even dramatic particularly. I mean, I just knew they were going to win the game. I, I, I It was... I, it's almost like, you know, you're doing a hard crossword puzzle. And if you turn over the page, there are the answers. And, you know, so you know how easy it is to cheat. And you know that at any point you could turn over the page. Well, when I'm watching that game last night, or as we record this on Monday afternoon, I'm just thinking to myself, it's, uh, I know what's going to happen. It's almost, it almost like ruins the, the suspense, but what are you sitting there in the stadium thinking at that point? I don't know. I, I thought that at, at a certain point you think, well, the chargers have got to get one, right? And it's not that I didn't think that the chiefs could go down the field and score. Of course they can, but you know, Khalil Mack is over there. Now he's supposed to be better. He's supposed to make them better. And you know, you just think, well, maybe Mahomes will make a mistake. Maybe the fact that, 
a lot of guys are missing is going to really affect them. Juju Smith-Schuster wasn't there. And, you know, Kadarius Tony had gone out by that point with the hamstring tightness. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire had suffered a, a high ankle sprain. So it's you're thinking, okay, maybe some of that inexperience is actually going to affect them at a certain point. But the answer is, of course not. Because I think they got the ball left with something about like one minute, 46 seconds. They scored and there was 31 seconds still left on the clock. I mean, they left perhaps yeah. too much time for Justin Herbert. You'd think if you got 31 seconds and multiple timeouts and you're starting at your own 25 yard line, what kind of arm he has and right. the kind of weapons that he has. I mean, I know that Mike Williams had been gone for by that time, but he's still got Keenan Allen out there. Palmer's a good receiver. You can get the ball down the field. It just didn't happen. You know, when push comes to shove, the Chiefs know how to execute in those most critical moments. And while Justin Herbert did convert third and 18 and he got the ball into the end zone as pressure was coming into his face, when it came down to it at the end of the game, he didn't make the plays. Let's spend a couple of minutes on four other teams, okay? The first team I want to talk about is the New England Patriots. Because I watched a lot of that game on Sunday. <clears throat> I mean, the Patriots' offense is terrible. And, <laughs> you know, they won that game because they drafted a corner from Houston who's a great returner. And the Jets did a stupid, stupid thing late in the game. Uh, they punted. They, they didn't have to do this. The Patriots were doing nothing. They were just going to play for overtime. So they make a line drive punt to this great college return guy who returns it for a touchdown and the Jets lose. And so, hey, euphoria in Patriots land, I get it, but I don't think they're very good. Their defense is good, but I don't think they're very good. And, and I, I, I don't know, I keep looking at the Patriots and saying, this just really has the looks of a 7-10, 8-9 team, but... The great and powerful Oz figures out a way to win so many of these games that you say, well, they're not better than the Jets, and yet they swept them. You look at the Patriots, what do you see? Pretty much that. Uh, the, the offense is playing to the expectations, I feel like, that we had when you hear that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are going to be leading that unit. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Yeah. You know, you don't think that that kind of unit is going to be very successful. And you think, well, maybe this is going to hurt the development of a second-year quarterback that you picked last year at 15 overall, and he showed some promise as a rookie. Right? It's not like, oh, he was going out there and setting the world on fire, but you don't expect that from rookie quarterbacks. But you want them to be able to take a step forward in year two, and I don't really see it right now. And I think it's because you have two men leading that unit that have not led offensive units before. I, I think that that's one of the biggest problems. But when you're playing defense, as great as they play defense, especially against another young quarterback that was highly drafted, it makes everything a lot easier. And Bill Belichick teams are normally going to be very good at special teams. And if you give them an opportunity, you leave that door open, they're probably going to kick that darn thing in. And that's exactly what the Patriots yeah. did. So a week from Thursday, I neglected to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're either where you need to be or on your way to wherever you're going uh, this week and have a great Thanksgiving. But a week from Thanksgiving, you've got the 
New England Patriots and Buffalo Bills meeting for the first time since uh, Buffalo beat uh, New England 47 to 7 in the divisional round last year. And I think I look at, or in the wild card round, excuse me. And I think I look at this division now as a battle between Miami and Buffalo. And, you know, we'll see. But I thought Buffalo's game in Detroit was a really good opportunity for the Bills to get back on track. They didn't play great, but I do think that they did two or three things that were really important. Okay, first of all, they ran for 171 yards. And as we've seen in the last two or three weeks, we've had a little shakiness with Josh Allen. I don't think it's anything to worry about. I simply think it's Josh Allen coming to the realization that I can't always force plays to happen. Sometimes I have to throw it into the third row of the bleachers or pitch it out to Devin Singletary. That's mm -hmm. it. And I think he's realizing that more and more. But the other thing I saw with the Bills in that game on Sunday, other than an incredible gratitude to uh, the citizenry of Western New York and the area around Orchard Park, which got that incredible blizzard over the weekend, you really sense right now that there isn't a community that is more one with the team than Buffalo is with its Buffalo Bills. Uh, Sean McDermott telling me after the game how grateful he is and all that. But let's just talk in a football sense now, Miles. You've got a passing game that isn't going great, but you still beat a decent team pretty handily. You know, they got some garbage points at the end. You still beat a, a pretty good team pretty handily, and you did that showing your offensive depth running the ball. Yeah, they they needed to get a game where they run the ball well, I, I think. And when you have Cook and Singletary running it as they did, especially in that second half, it, it takes some pressure off of Josh Allen. And I think that especially this week, given all the things that happened in the Minnesota game, and then you add to that all of the things that happened in Western New York over the last week, you needed to take a little pressure off of that guy. And, you know, yes. the, 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 the Bills did not come out playing all that well. They look like a team that hadn't really practiced very much over the course of the week. I think, all things considered, that's pretty understandable. But they got themselves right when the Browns fumbled a, a, a quarterback center exchange because the Brown center had gone out, backup center comes in, that exchange goes wrong. Boom, the Bills are able to take advantage of that. And that's one of those things that really kind of turned that game around. It gave the Bills some life. And so I think that when they play the way they played, kind of like the last two minutes or so in the first half and then through the second half, that's the kind of Buffalo Bills team that they need to be to be the team that we all expected them to be coming into this season. You know, I want to shift to the NFC East right now, to the two teams that I think have demonstrated that they're probably going to be left standing in January, and that's Dallas and Philadelphia. 
Dallas blew me away with how good they were yeah. uh, late, uh, or not late, but throughout the game in Minnesota. The most shocking score of this season in Minneapolis, Dallas 40, Minnesota 3. I'll tell you, there was two things in this game that really impressed me from Dallas's standpoint. I, the number one thing is that Tony Pollard is a certified, legitimate star. Mm-hmm. He needs his touches, and they need to basically game plan so that they don't necessarily overuse him. A couple of weeks ago, you know, his uh, his coach, um, his running backs coach, basically said, you know, he's he's got a limited shelf life in every game. He can't play seventy snaps. So that's all well and good, but look at the damage. He he created the 69-yard touchdown pass uh, from Dak Prescott on a third and 14 was absolutely beautiful. So he can do so much. Here's the other thing. I don't care how you play Micah Parsons. You can do whatever you want, game plan, whatever you want to do. You can take him out of the game. I mean, I used to cover Lawrence Taylor. I saw teams take Lawrence Taylor out of the game. Same game, Leonard Marshall had two and a half sacks and the Giants... One twenty-five to nine, and and you know so there's a price to pay if you want to get rid of Micah Parsons, but those two guys watching that game, Tony Pollard, Micah Parsons, I just said to myself, I, I mean, look, no team is perfect, and no team are you ever going to say about them, uh, oh, they've got no weak spots, but Miles, those two guys really, really make me would make me fearful of having to play Dallas in a playoff game. Oh, yeah, because th- those two guys seem to perform well when the lights get bright. And what I liked about Micah Parsons over the last week was how he said, look, they gave us a 14-point lead at Green Bay heading into the last quarter. We can't give that up. That's on us. Right. He took yep. takes they, taking that accountability and saying we're not going to let that happen again. And so you get the Dallas Cowboys coming out and they play with a level of urgency that you just didn't see from the Minnesota Vikings. And perhaps they're reading their press clippings a little bit, you know, smelling that perfume a little bit too much. And boy, maybe we are really good. And then you come out and you get humbled. And Kevin O'Connell said it. That that's the thing that can happen in this league. And you end up with one of the worst losses in franchise history. But I think it is an impressive performance by the Cowboys to go into that hostile environment. I'm sure that crowd was hopped up and ready to go and they neutralized it. They took them out of the game early. And when you have somebody like Micah Parsons making those plays, when you have Tony Pollard on the other side, making them pay, even Zeke Elliott, you know, you get close to the end zone. He puts the ball in the box. Those things are really important, and that can help you as you get to this stretch run of the NFL season. You know, I, I'm i really excited about the second Philadelphia-Dallas game this year, and I, I'll tell you what really interested me about the Eagles game on Sunday in Indianapolis. You can sit there and say, well, you know, they had no right to win the game, and they really didn't play that well. And, you know, you'd probably be right about they didn't really play that well. But I think they had every right to win that game, and I'll tell you why. They're down 13-3 to with 16 minutes left in the game, okay? And they're down 13-3, to and yet Jalen Hurts, who 
we keep wondering about, we keep having questions about, is he really the guy? Is he this? I mean, I think he's answered just about every question you could have for him. And he leads him on drives of 60. Uh, and uh, he leads him on drives of 60 and, and 75 yards. And basically, he came through when, he ha- when they absolutely had to have it. Because to me, a second straight loss... And then everybody in that locker room is starting to say, uh-oh. But instead of having that, you come with two fourth-quarter long drives. And you come with these drives, and all of a sudden, no more questions. You're 9-1. and one. You've got the best record in football. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's one of those deals where you get a short week, you got to go on the road, I thought that it was really interesting what Nick Sirianni was saying after the game where they asked him about Frank Reich and he says, well, you, you probably don't really want to know what I think about that. And it's like, well, Nick Sirianni was coaching emotionally this week. And I don't know, Peter, I, I, I think back to a game I covered uh, 2017, uh, the Rams were playing Washington at the Coliseum and it was the first time Sean McVay had to coach against Jay Gruden. And later on he admitted like, I, I was coaching emotionally in that game and that probably didn't help us. And I think sometimes when that happens, it, it's just doesn't, you don't do the things that you normally do. And it puts maybe a little more stress yeah, on yourself than you would usually have. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think there might've been some element of that with Philadelphia, but the fact that they were able to overcome it, Right. And, and win that game at the end, I think says a lot about the mental fortitude of that team, because you, you have to be able to really get some things done late in the game in order to execute. And they were able to do it. Miles, we're going to segue to Jimmy Johnson right now. Um, I, I recently was forwarded a book that Johnson wrote with Dave Hyde called Swagger. And, um, you know, I get a lot of these books in the mail. Most of them I just skim. But I said, I knew I was going to have Jimmy on the podcast. And so I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and read this. And it's a very quick read. Some really good stories. Great honesty in there about Don Shula. Oh, my God. That was a, that took some ugly turns. So, But, but anyway, I'm just going to let Jimmy tell you some of these stories. Uh, let's go to our guest, Jimmy Johnson. Miles and I will be back on the other side. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. 
Use Clorox products as directed. Happy to be joined by Jimmy Johnson uh, to discuss his new book, Swagger, written with Dave Hyde. And Jimmy, I want to start by talking about something that I always felt was a hugely important part of your success that is all over this book. And that is the fact that when you're the leader of a team or the leader of anything, confrontation is important. And you reminded me a lot of Bill Parcells because early on in your tenure in Dallas, because that's the way Parcells was. And just, you know, you tell this story in the book, but you early on, because I covered you a lot, you were a, a rising star. Your team was great. And one time we were together after a game and you said to me, Peter, if you fuck me on this story, I will squash <laughs> you like a squirrel in the road. But I actually, you probably think, oh boy, I put him in his place. I actually loved it yeah. because it showed me that this is how you kind of operate. And this is how you have to operate in the high stakes world of the NFL. I want you to explain to me where you learned that and how it became a part of your ethos. Peter, I I, I think not only confrontation, uh, but interaction. Uh, I visited with Brian Dable, who's doing a great job with the Giants, uh, before the season started. And I told him, I said, you know, and I've told other guys that became my head coach for the first time, I said, you know, you're an offensive coordinator. You walk down that hall, and really, nobody gave a damn. Nobody paid attention to you. I said, but now, you walk down that hall, every head will turn. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to have a successful organization, it, it won't be just the X's and O's. You've got to have interaction with the secretary, the administrative assistant, the backup offensive guard, the intern coach. Because let me tell you, no one likes to be ignored, but especially no one wants to be ignored by the leader. And Brian even said, he said, I take pizza down to the equipment people, you know, just to get the whole building on the same page. You know, people used to talk when we were in Dallas and we were one in 15. You know, they said, you know, somebody would complain to one of the coaches. They say, hey, this is the way Jimmy wants to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. There was never a chink in our armor. We were always on the same page. Kind of what Parcells used to say, one voice. You know, that's the way it is. And if everybody believes the same way, uh, and obviously there's interaction, you know, suggestions, go it this way, go it that way. But when you have an end result, that we're all working together, you know, for a common goal. You know, I thought there are three or four things in this book that I just simply did not know and which I found really, really interesting. I knew that you sort of had a rough relationship with Don Shula, but I didn't realize how it originated. And it actually originated with his son, Dave Shula, where you, in fact, kind of demoted Dave when you were in Dallas and you called Don as sort of a courtesy. 
yes. on this. And tell me the story and also sort of tell me where you think it all went wrong with Don Shula. Well, you know, I really didn't know him that well. Um, you know, I'd gone to a couple of his practices when I was at University of Miami. And so I wanted to hire Dave Wanstead. And Dave had taken a job with Don. So I went to, and talked to Don and said, I want to hire Dave Wanstead off your staff. And, he, you know, right off the bat, he didn't know that there was going to be a change in Dallas. He said, well, Tom Landry, I understand he's had three straight losing seasons. But what about Tex Schramm? Because Tex was a buddy of his. I said, I don't know anything about Tex. You know, Jerry's going to have to make the decision on that. I said, but I want to hire Dave Wanstead. He said, well, he said, how about Wanstead and my son, Dave Shula? And, I, you know, I kind of got the message. And so I hired Dave. And so after the second year, you know, I ended up being coach of the year in, in that second year because we nearly made the playoffs. And I wanted to hire North Turner. And so I called Don out of a courtesy. I said, you know, uh, I'm going to have Dave do be our passing coordinator and work, you know, with the receivers. And Don was, oh, man, I, I thought he'd be okay with it. But he said, hey, you know, Dave, big part of you becoming coach of the year, you know, and you can't do that. And he was, he cussed me out. And so I uh, end up, he worked with the Bengals and got Dave head coach there with Cincinnati. So it never was a problem. But then, you know, he kind of thought that maybe I ushered him out of the Dolphins, which I had nothing to do with. I mean, I was happy, happily retired down the Keys. Yeah. And Nick Bonacani called me and said, hey, you know, Shula's out uh, with the Dolphins. I said, really? I didn't know that. And he said, have you talked to Wayne Heisinger? I said, I've never talked to him. I don't even know him. And so Eddie Jones, the general manager of the president, called my attorney, Nick, and said, hey, you know, Wayne Heisinger would like to talk to you. This is after Shula had left. And, you know, obviously I took the job. You know, Don not only was upset about me not keeping Dave as an offensive coordinator, but he was upset thinking I ushered him out of the Dolphins. The amazing thing you 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 talk about when you got that job and he said to you when you saw him after that, you really effed up. Yeah. Because you didn't keep uh who was it? It was Troy Vincent and oh, somebody it was else. Brian Cox, it was Troy yeah. Vincent, it was uh uh, there, uh, oh, the, you know, Vincent was the big one uh, because he was really a great defensive back. But there was five players uh, that contracts were up. His last year, he had gone all out and yeah. it maxed out the cap to get Steve Etman and uh, Green, the tight end, and, and Buckley, the defensive back, on and on. And we were over the cap, and I couldn't keep any of those players. Uh, you know but, what I remember about that, Jimmy, having talked to you around that time, I remember saying, oh, my God, the Tampa job is so much better than the Miami right. job. <laughs> you yeah. were right. I wish yeah. I had listened to you. <laughs> but, but, but as you said, and I totally understood, when you have a quarterback, and look, Dan Marino wasn't what he had been physically, obviously, when you got there. But look, you, you, you know, it was, I didn't think it was a dumb idea at all to go to Miami because you could have struck gold with, yeah. with, with Dan Marino. 
if Dan would have been healthy, the only problem was Dan was injured every single year that I was there. The Achilles, uh, the shoulder, uh, both knees. You know, he couldn't even jog around the field because his knees were so bad. I saw him at the Hall of Fame. I said, Dan, how's everything going? He said, hey, I had both knees replaced. I said, I wish you'd replace those knees before I got the dolphin job. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. But we went to the playoffs three straight years and won a couple of playoff games, had the number one defense in the league. Uh, But it was a disappointment that we didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, the one other thing, there are a couple of other things that, I, I mean, I had no idea that before the draft in 1998, that Archie Manning called you and said, essentially, do you think you could figure out a way to get uh, <laughs> to get Peyton, you know, to be able to draft Peyton? Tell me that story, because that is a great story in the book. Yeah, well, Archie, you know, yeah, he knew that I was kind of a wheeler dealer anyway. Yeah. And uh, and so I visited with him. Uh, the only regret I, I had is that. Uh, we just didn't have enough draft picks to move up to get him. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that would have been great. And people say, well, what would you have done? Well, you know, Peyton would have been behind Dan, you know, but the way it worked out, you know, Dan, you know, missed games every year. And so Peyton would have been thrown into the lineup uh, right off the bat because, like I said, Dan was hurt every year. Did you ever wonder what would have happened if you were able to somehow wheel and deal your way up from 19 to number one? Uh, it would have taken a lot of draft picks. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, I came that close. You know, Belichick came that close to coming down and being my defensive coordinator. So we could wow. have had we could have had Peyton Manning uh, as our quarterback and Bill Belichick as my defensive coordinator. <laughs> what happened with Belichick? We talked back and forth because we were friends and, you know, we had done some dealings, you know, back when he was at Cleveland. And, you know, he, as you know, he comes down here about every other year and we talk football. Uh, so we had a great relationship. Uh, but uh, he said, you know, hey, his allegiance to Parcells, you know, kind of was a swaying factor in going to with Bill rather than me. Yeah. Jimmy, uh, you know, there's there's tinges of Jerry Jones throughout this book. And I know that, Everybody is going to be trying to divine little clues about your relationship over the years. But, and you write about this a little bit in the book. I I thought right after that second Super Bowl that it was just different. You were just so much less happy after that second Super Bowl. The first one, you were euphoric. The second one, eh, you know. And you weren't really that concerned about your legacy and all that. And I wonder, now that you've had time, really 20 plus years, almost 30 years to really think about this, tell me why you think you and Jerry just butted heads so monumentally. Uh, Peter, I, I think it came down to the contract. And the contract really was uh Jerry's you know thought right off the bat and because you know when he talked to me about going to the Cowboys and he was in the process of buying the Cowboys from Bum Bright he said Jimmy he says I'm gonna handle all the financial I'm gonna handle all the business 
you handle all the fo football. And I remember we were in Little Rock, and you know, in his vehicle, we were talking. He says, "Hey, if I do all the financial and the business dealings, and you do all the football, we'll be back to back, and we'll make sports history." Well, my attorney Nick Kristen, he wrote up the contract that way that I would be responsible for all football operations, players, trades. Uh, and you know, Peter, you were down there. I mean, I was yeah. I was doing the trades and I was doing the, the draft. Well, that worked fine when we were losing. <laughs> then we started winning. And once we started winning, you know, Jerry came up to me and he said, you know, he said, Jimmy, he says, you know, we had a little conflict when I traded for Tony Casillas. And you know, he was talking about how he traded for Tony Casillas. I said, you don't even know what position he plays, you know. And I said, you know, you know, Jerry, why? You know, and he said, you know, listen, I can make $5 million and nobody really gives a damn. He said, you trade for a backup offensive guard, and everybody goes, ooh, ah, you know. He said, I want to be part of that. And so that's when I knew that things were going to be a conflict. So – but that way, that was the way my contract was written up. And that's what I was responsible for. Maybe if we had gone day one, okay, Jerry, you're general manager, you, you're responsible for this, you, and Jimmy, you do the football coaching. And we, but that's not how we started, you know, there in, in Dallas. Now, we redid the contract about three different times, and I got more money. And he always wanted to take those, you know, terms out of the contract, and I never would allow him to take them out of the contract. Yeah. Were you that day in March of, I guess, 93, were you utterly shocked when you heard what Jerry did at the league meetings, basically say some stuff about you that he could win the Super Bowl with 500 coaches and things like that? I have to imagine that no matter how difficult and contentious sometimes your relationship was, that that must have been a, a sock in the gut. Hey, Peter, it hurt. But I know, I mean, and you know, I, I live three blocks from the office. I mean, I put in five years there of doing nothing, sacrificing my family, you know, to try to rebuild the guy. Tom Landry's one of the greatest coaches ever, but he had three straight losing seasons, and they were the worst team in the NFL at three and 13. And so to take that team and to rebuild it, not only into a Super Bowl winner, but the youngest team in the league to win the Super Bowl that was going to be really the team of the 90s, I was proud of that. And, you know, I was proud of our accomplishments. And for him to say 500 coaches could win, you know, with that team, the only response I had was, yeah, but I, I was a big part of putting together that team. You know, maybe 500 couldn't do it, but maybe there's 20 or 30 could have won the Super Bowl with them. But I, I helped put that team together. And so it, it hurt. You know, I want to I want to end with uh, this story that you told in there that I had absolutely no idea about. And that is your relationship with your son, Chad his problems uh with alcoholism and what happened at the at the end with him and jimmy i i mean you always were just really all business 
I know you had a family. I know you had, you know, your sons and, and there were times when I would see them around you, but I just never really thought of your family because you really made it all about football and you separated, you know, your family life very much. There was a big line of demarcation there, but tell me about the problems that Chad faced and I think you write about it really, really eloquently in the book. And it and you opened a vein and bled in this book about it. Well, there's a couple things about the family. In fact, when I went to my mother's funeral and I couldn't look at her in the casket, you know, that's when I realized what I'd missed out on all those years. And that's what made me retire. But the Situation with Chad is, you know, both both sons play football. I never saw either one of them ever play a game because I was always trying to win a championship. I always felt like I needed to outwork the opponent. And so I didn't even realize Chad was having a problem, but, you know, he became an alcoholic. And, uh, I mean, I could tell you stories that he went through that it just devastating that I didn't even know it was going on. And I'd lay in bed at night. He went to a couple of rehab centers and I'd lay in bed at night crying my eyes out and saying, I'd give a million dollars if somebody can get him back on track. And so when he absolutely did hit rock bottom, he, we got him into a halfway house. And next thing he started getting better. He ends up, you know, taking over the halfway house. He took over the the whole facility, he went and got doctors and consultants, you know, to certified as a rehab center. And they became just unbelievably successful with Tranquil Shores. And I go back to their client reunion. He, he's got Tranquil Shores now. Now he's opening another one up in Austin. And I would go and I'd sit in the audience next to Chad. And like a mother and daddy would go up to the podium. They'd have all the recovering alcoholics and all their families there and the mother and daddy would say chad thanks for saving my son's life wow and then a mother would go up and I, she told this story said chad you picked up my daughter at three o'clock in the morning and drove her around for four hours talking to her and then took her to detox thanks for saving her life i mean i I'm tearing up now just talking about it. And business have, have tried to buy Chad's you know, facility. He said, Daddy, he says, I'm not in it to make money. He said, if a business bought it, they'd have, you know, like one counselor for 10 or 20 clients. We have one counselor for every four clients. That's why we're successful. He said, I don't care about making money. I'm doing something to help people. I mean, it's such a success story that I'm so proud. I said, you know, I told the people when I talked to them, I said, listen, I had a couple of undefeated national championship teams as a player and a coach. Won a couple of Super Bowls. College pro football, college and pro football Hall of Fame. Broadcasting the Hall of Fame. Nothing that I've ever accomplished comes anywhere close to what you're doing is saving people's lives. And it, I mean, it's touching to me. It's awesome. It just really is awesome. And, you know, to think about you in 1990, 1991, 1992, how absolutely singular your focus was. 
It was only focused on one thing, right. you know, the Dallas Cowboys in winning. And right. to hear you say that now, you are a, just a different animal. Troy Aikman talked, one of my best friends, Troy talks about it all the time. He said, it's unbelievable. He says, you're a fun, good guy. <laughs> he says, where was that guy when we were with the Cowboys? <laughs> but Jimmy, I got to admit, you really did have an awful lot of fun. And, you know, like the way you, the way you scouted players going around to college campuses and hanging out. I mean, you really, I think one of the reasons why you had the success you did is because of what you talked about at the beginning, the sort of interpersonal communication and the fact that you were just as comfortable talking to your third string running back as you were talking to Paul Tagliabue. Right. You, you know, I mean, you could, that is a secret, I think, that really kind of tells the story of how you're able to be successful, I think. I, I think that's why people come down to the Keys, you know, general managers, owners, you know, coaches. Uh, Troy and and Tony Wise and North Term, Wanstead, they, they were all down here, you know, just a few weeks ago. And they were saying, what, what made you so successful? And I don't know who said it, but he said, Jimmy brought out the best in everybody. Because, you know, all those guys, they didn't have a big pedigree. You know, Tony Wise coached maybe the greatest offensive line in pro football. And there were a couple of third-round picks and a couple of free agents. And Tony was a guy that played at Ithaca. Didn't actually play, but he went to Ithaca. And <laughs> but he was a great offensive line coach. And I brought out the best in Tony as an offensive line coach. Yeah. But I tried to bring out the best in everybody in the organization, coaches, players, everybody. And that's what made it fun, Peter. Jimmy Johnson, here it is. Super Bowls, Brass Balls, and Footballs, a memoir, Swagger. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining me and good luck with the book. All right. Thank you, Peter. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. My thanks to Jimmy Johnson. Good luck to him with uh, his book, Swagger. 
Miles, on the second half of our Thanksgiving week podcast, I wanted to talk about, um, like in my family at Thanksgiving, we weren't really dark meat fans. We weren't drumstick fans. We like the breast. We like the, the really good white meat. So I, I feel like if Zach Wilson was at my family's Thanksgiving table uh, after the weekend he had, we might be saying, hey, Zach, here, help yourself to all this dark meat. <laughs> and, and here, have the drumstick. It's really good. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I watched a good chunk of that game, and Zach Wilson was awful. I'll tell you, the thing I don't really like right now about Zach Wilson, last week, I mean, first of all, he has not played well, period. Mm -hmm. And last week, he had a quote that got some run here in New York. I live in Brooklyn. And the quote was, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm not worried about anybody outside of the building. Uh, they don't know what we're doing. They don't know it. They, they don't know us. They don't know. They really don't know football, okay? And... Just think that's a dumb thing to say. And then after you play a nightmarish game, which Zach Wilson played, okay, two total yards in the second half in Foxborough. And after you play a nightmarish game and a reporter asks a valid question, geez, your defense only gave up three points all day today. Don't you kind of feel bad? And don't you feel like you, you maybe owe, uh, owe something? To the defense. No, no. I, I mean, and, you know, when I heard that, because I heard it live, I was watching a lot of their press stuff after the game, and I heard that, and I said, man, that's not going to age well. And sure enough, Mark Canizero on Twitter, longtime uh, Jets authority writer for the New York Post, basically said he's in big trouble in his locker room. This was like by 11 o'clock that night, and I know Canizero's got sources, so I, I said, man, this is going to be ugly. So what do you think, how do you think, A, the Jets should handle Zach Wilson, and how should Zach Wilson handle this situation he's in right now? You know, Peter, it's just a stunning lack of maturity out of somebody who is supposed to be a franchise quarterback. And I, I, I think about this a lot. Quarterbacks right now are a lot constructed. You know, they are built up to be guys that can potentially go to the NFL. You think about all these passing camps and academies and this and that. These, these guys understand how it is that perception, almost reality in some ways. So they know how to answer questions. I, I, and so in 2022, when you are, what, 9 of 22 for, I think, 77 yards was his final line. I mean, come on. You're not playing well enough. And that question, I because I, I listened to the press conference too, and I believe it was basically, do you feel like the offense let the defense down? It wasn't even, do you yeah. personally, as the quarterback, yeah. feel like you let them down? He said, no. And what do you mean, no? You scored three <laughs> points. It, it, it's 2022. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, this is yeah. not Otto Graham, you know, with Paul Brown. And I, what? Do, no, you score three points, you're going to lose. And if your defense only allows three points, you should win. Defense was great. 
And, you know, we can talk about how bad the Patriots offense is, but you still have to go out there and execute and prevent them from scoring. And so if you say things like that and you're at the podium and you're like, no, offense didn't do anything. And then you've got Garrett Wilson in the locker room saying the things that the quarterback should be saying, this is not okay. This will not stand. We have to be better. We have to be more detailed. We have to do this and that. That's what you want your quarterback to say, because that's the leadership, right? And when you don't have that, you don't have that maturity to just stand up there and take the arrows. Some might say like, that's not right. good enough. It's just not. And, and you know, the other thing, the, the other thing, the other thing I found myself thinking miles is not just, I, I mean, I think this isn't just simply a reaction to how we played, but it's a reaction to how the defense is playing. And Robert Sala said after the game, I'm not even thinking about making a quarterback change. I mean, if I were CJ Mosley, Quinn and Williams, maybe a couple of the veteran defensive guys on that team, I'd see if I could have a quick meeting with Robert Sala. Maybe yep. even, you know, a Zoom meeting on Tuesday and just saying, hey, coach, listen, we're not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but you know, you can't expect us to continue to go out and support our quarterback when it's it's like he's uh, in third grade trying to teach a pre-law class at Harvard. It, it's just, it, it just can't happen, you know? So I think Robert Sala honestly owes it to his team to start Mike White. You know, yeah. Mike White had that incredible game against the Bengals last year when uh, the Jets shocked the Bengals and he threw for over 400 yards. I just think this team needs something new, especially because it's a playoff defense. This team could go on the road in the playoffs with that defense and win or lose 13 to 10. I just, you know, the, yes. I've, I've watched enough of that defense in the first 11 weeks of this year to know how good they are. But okay, so enough of Zach Wilson. I want to go to the other guy who I think more than anybody else right now in the coaching fraternity is under pressure. And that's obviously um, Nathaniel Hackett. And and obviously they bring in Jerry Rossberg in week three. Um, you know, and since they, they were one and one when they brought him in and they've had almost nothing but failure since. And then this week they changed the play caller to Clint Kubiak. They had some productivity on offense, but still, same thing. 32nd scoring offense in football. Imagine you bring in a guy who was one of Aaron Rodgers' tutors, very imaginative coach, and you bring in a new quarterback who led his team to the playoffs in eight of 10 years in Seattle and is one of the top five rated quarterbacks in NFL history in Russell Wilson. And they're averaging 14.5 points a game, way beneath anybody else. Is there a way, Miles, that you think that Nathaniel Hackett can save his job over the last month and a half of this season? I mean, I, I suppose it's always possible that the Broncos can get hot and, you know, maybe they score more than 24 points in a game, which they don't. I mean, they they just consistently score 16. They have not How scored you, 24 points in a game I know, this that's year. That's what I'm saying. It's the that's craziest I mean. it's thing. Like, 
It is. It's 2022. <laughs> I mean, it was the same thing we were saying about Zach Wilson. Like, how how can you not score 24 points? Especially talk about a good defense. I mean, that defense for the Broncos has been tremendous throughout the course of the season. Now, did they leave Devonte Adams wide, wide, wide open at the end of the game? Yes, they did. But by and large, it's not like that defense has not been playing winning football. But I mean, at the same time, it's not all Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, when you have a quarterback in Russell Wilson who has been in the league 10 plus years and you are in a situation that is you have to keep the clock moving because the opponent has no timeouts, you keep the clock moving. What did we all see on Monday Night Football last week? We saw Taylor Heineke take a knee in the backfield so that the clock would keep moving on third down when they would ostensibly have to punt it away to the Eagles to make it harder for them to come back. They had no more timeouts. So it, uh, passing that situation on third and 10 absolutely makes sense. But if the play is not there, it's dead. Take the sack. Russell Wilson has to know that. You've been in the league long enough to know that. And whether it's Clint Kubiak in his ear, yeah. whether it's Nathaniel yep. Hackett in his ear, it doesn't matter. You need to know that, and you have to take responsibility for that, and you have to make sure that in the situation, situational football matters, and you have to master that. And it just is ridiculous to me that Russell Wilson didn't do that on Sunday. Bothersome, really bothersome. Um, I know this is going to sound odd to say that the coach of a 7-3 and three team that had a bad day on Sunday, the New York Giants and Brian Dable, that he – is a guy who's really under the gun right now. But I'm going to say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, look, they lose to the Detroit Lions 31 to 18. <clears throat> and I, I'm going to, this is going to sound bizarre. There's no real shame in losing to the Detroit Lions right now. This is a very good offensive team. And the Giants are not a very good offensive team. But something happened in that game that not enough people are paying attention to because no one really pays attention to this receiver on the Giants named Wandale Robinson. So Wandale Robinson, when I went to training camp this year, a young second-round pick from Kentucky, smurfy guy, um, the Giants answer to Tyreek Hill. And he has come on the last two or three weeks, nine catches, 100 yards on Sunday, and late in the game, he was lost to a torn ACL for the year. The Giants just don't have anybody to be competitive, to scare you. To, I mean, <clears throat> they're going to go into Dallas on Thanksgiving. And, man, Brian Dable has got to pull six rabbits out of his hat for them to be competitive. And then they go Washington, Philadelphia, Washington. Washington's one of the hottest teams in the league. Philadelphia is 9-1. and one. Uh, Dallas is one of the hottest teams in the league uh, based on Sunday. Miles, I think the Giants might be in a little bit of trouble. They could be. They, they certainly could be. And especially when you go against division opponents, and obviously Brian Dayball is a new head coach, but you, you know the teams in your division because you study them the most in the offseason because you're going to play them twice. So there are things that 
the the Giants have probably picked up about the opponents, but at the same time, you're well enough into the season that the opponents know you too, and they at least know your personnel. So they have an understanding of what it is that you guys may or may not be able to do. And I think you're right. Losing Wandale Robinson is going to be a huge, huge loss for them because Big who loss. else on that offense besides from Saquon Barkley are you really thinking, man, that guy is going to keep up the defensive coordinator at night trying to think of ways how to stop him. And there's just not that many guys there. So we'll see how they do. I mean, Brian Dayball's done a great job of coaching that team to get them to where they are right now. Now, I think that the, 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 the Giants, I think we can say have a bright future, but as for the rest of the 2022 season, yeah, with how competitive that NFC East is right now, they may be in trouble. Last man under pressure I want to bring up, and that's Brandon Staley. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm a little hesitant to put him in this category, but I, I'm going to put him in there because... Basically, the Chargers now, they have, they've lost three out of four. There's no shame in losing any single one of these games, especially with the injuries that they've had in L.A. But they've lost to Seattle, San Francisco, uh, and Kansas City. And, and, I, and I look ahead at their schedule. They definitely have the ability to play well down the stretch because their next two games are Arizona and Las Vegas. But then after that, it's Miami and Tennessee. And at some point, at some point, you know, Brandon Staley and the Chargers, and, 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 I, and, and look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna kill Brandon Staley for losing the game to Kansas City on a play that was the carbon copy of the play that beat him last year in overtime at, so at SoFi. But, I mean, Travis Kelsey, after the game, told me this is the exact same play we won last year on. And I looked it up, and sure enough, shallow cross to Travis Kelsey, and he gets a step and a half on Derwin James, and he's off to the races, touchdown, game over. I'm not going to kill anybody for that. I think it's unfair to do that. But what I am saying is that, you know, at some point, the Chargers have got to win some of these games that are really tough to win against really good opponents, or else you're going to say, I mean, they got a lot of talent on this team, and they just aren't playing to the level of their talent. No, I, I agree with you, Peter. I mean, at, at a certain point, you've got to win the games. You have to be able to come through in those critical moments. You've got to stop Patrick Mahomes. I know that's tough. Uh, that, that is extremely tough to do. But... You have talented guys on that team. Do you have all your guys? No, nobody does, right? But you still have to execute. It, it can't always just be, ah, they, they, they made more plays than we did. You've got to make more plays sometimes. And if you want to be considered with the big boys, you got to beat one of them. You know, th those are teams that we all think are going to be competitive probably into January, right? The Seahawks, the 49ers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. But... At the same time, you have to win some of these games in order to actually get yeah. yourself from in the hunt in that graphic that the, you know all the networks start putting up around this yeah. time into actually being in the playoff picture. And at five and five, they're not. They're on the outside looking yeah. in. So how are they going to be able to do that? Well, you got to critically execute in those critical situations. Miles, as we sit here now, 
Um, you were a couple of days away, three days away from the Thanksgiving slate of games. I don't remember a year that every one of the games on Thanksgiving, like, I really want to watch. Yeah. I mean, I want to watch the Lions <laughs> against Buffalo. Totally. I mean, that could be a 36-30 to 30 game. That's going to be a fun game. I want to watch the Giants at Dallas. I have a feeling Dallas might kill them, but Brian Dabo, Mike Kafka, they're an interesting little brain trust on the offensive side of the ball. I kind of like uh, the Giants to make that tougher than maybe it should be. And then New England at Minnesota, kind of a strange game because I don't really trust New England to play great offensively, and I have no idea what to make of the Vikings. But the mystery of that of that game makes it kind of interesting. So that's going to be a it'll be a fun Thursday, um, and obviously some good weeks coming up on Sunday. Miles, I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I want to wish all of our listeners on the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce uh, a great and happy Thanksgiving, a family Thanksgiving. Hope everybody has a great week, and we'll see you right back here next week for another edition of the Peter King Podcast, presented by Sales. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.